my grandmother said be Jew in home and be non-Jewish on the street. I have to uh, fill this in, so please enter the synagogue and I will join you in a second, all right? Anyone can tell you how many people we are? I think we're 15. 15, all right? Okay. All right, so please enter, it will be cooler inside. Take keep us, you have your own. Great. There's something in Poland that that is a sort of must in terms of being Jewish. When you discover even that you have one single Jewish root, it compels you to do something about it because it's Poland, because of what happened here, and because we're so few. My name is Denise Grolmus, and on my 28th birthday, I found out that I was Jewish. It was October 3rd, 2008, and on that day, my mother told me she discovered my Polish grandmother's real name, and it was a total shock because I never knew that my grandmother even had a fake name. Um, It turned out that her real name was Christina Rosenwasser, And she wasn't the Catholic Pole she'd always claimed to be, but a Polish Jew who'd fled Poland after the war. And so, of course, you know, I realized, well, if my grandmother was Jewish, that made my mom Jewish, which made me Jewish. Um, Still, I didn't really know what that meant. So in 2009, I decided to come to Poland for the first time, uh, hoping to find some answers to my questions. Before I came to Poland, um, my Jewish friends would freak out when I told them where I was going. You know, they'd say, Poland? Why would you go to Poland? You know, because for many of them, it was like, it was little more than a giant Jewish graveyard. You know, a country where three million Polish Jews were murdered during the Holocaust. A place where people believe, you know, Poles are practically breastfed anti-Semitism. It's a place where there is no Jewish life anymore. But then, you know, I got here, and I got a completely different story. In the United States, I was a total aberration. Um, People simply couldn't understand how I could not know that I was Jewish, or why my grandmother would keep something like that a secret. Uh, Then I came to Poland, and I realized my story wasn't unique. Um, Here, my family story is the quintessential Jewish experience. Um, My good friend Katka Rezhka has actually written a book about the phenomenon called uh, Return of the Jew. Uh, Katka also didn't know she was Jewish until she was in her 20s. First of all, I discovered Jewish roots eventually on both sides of the family, which is crazy. Um, On my mom's side, it it looks like it was already my great-great-grandma who decided she was no longer going to be Jewish when she moved towns. Uh, and yes, and you know, the, the, my mom's favorite memory is when, was when my uh, great-grandpa would hide in the closet, put a cloth over his head, put some sort of box on his forehead, and sway before my grandmother when she opened the door, saying, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, which would drive her mad. She would run around the kitchen with a rolling pin yelling at him, what, you fool, what if somebody sees you? It's not funny. 
It's like the, it's like the Moranos of Spain. It's you know, it's like there's this whole Ashkenazi sort of hidden tradition, like kind of the lighting candles in the closet sort of thing. Um, and it's amazing. It's always like in these mundane kind of rituals. It's like baking bread or a little phrase that you find this exceptional truth in some ways. Is that like pretty typical of most people's experiences? Sort of, you just trip on it. I don't think anything's typical, but it's but it's but I do I actually do say in my book that I think people in Poland stumble over their Jewish roots, because it's it's for many it's that sort of experience. Uh, some start looking because they have some suspicions. You know, in my family, the suspicious fact was that everybody loved Jews. Everybody talked. You know, Jews are wonderful people. And I realized at some point in Poland, not everybody says that of the Jews. So, so I thought there's something there. Um, so, but but for many people, it's it's their it's their funny last name or their looks. I mean, you know, some women wonder why their thighs are so you know wide. <laughs> Literally, there are many things that will that will take you on the journey of trying to discover Jewish roots. And many people just want to find Jewish roots, and that's why they start looking. We have with us here uh, Swavomir Greenberg and your partner in crime, both creatively and romantically. And um, uh, Swavomir, do you have? You have a personal connection with this story too, right? Do you you identify as as a Polish Jew? Oh yes, yes. I mean, everybody who who is Jewish in Poland has some connection to the story, and Katka explained it very well. My story was was very different because, first of all, it, it happened twenty five years ago. You know, we, we had this debate yesterday about if. Uh, Gays in Poland replaced Jews in in this crime, so-called, and and it just, you know all of us had different coming outs, uh, and my coming out uh, happened when I was very young. My grandmother's side, they were converts. Uh, they were from Lithuania originally. Uh, when there were pogroms, they they converted from uh, Judaism to Christianity. So they they were hidden Jews, and what happened often in in this situation, uh, you try to prove that you are much better Catholic than than everybody else. So they they were slightly anti-Semitic, and this was and this was my childhood when I <laughs> did something wrong. You know, the, my mother would would uh, scare me of. Uh, those cars which would stop by in front of the apartment building and hijack me to to Israel if I would misbehave. <laughs> so, so my, you know, I, I was afraid to be a Jew. I was scared to death because the word was something, you know, it's like saying somebody has AIDS. You know, so you you have this stigma on you. So, so my my life in Poland at the time was very different. I, I wish I would. I'll be born 25 years later. I knew exactly what Swavomir Grunberg meant about the word Jewish being like a four-letter word. Right before I came to Poland, my grandmother wrote me a letter, which I'm actually holding right now. And here, on the second page, she writes... I felt Polish and also J dash 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 dash. I mean, she couldn't even bring herself to write the word Jewish, which just makes me so sad because it shows you how deeply rooted and internalized that anti-Semitism is. You know, and of course it makes sense. 
you know, that fear and self-loathing and the wishing you were someone else, someone not Jewish, it didn't just end when the war ended. It wasn't like when the Germans finally left Poland, you know, so did anti-Semitism. And as Rabbi Michael Shudrick, the chief rabbi of Poland, explained to me, the need to keep one's Jewishness a secret only became more intense under communism. First of all, in the general Soviet uh, policy, it was to make everyone into a Soviet citizen. And so any ethnic religious group was only tolerated as a way to get them to become Soviets. And here it wasn't necessary to say the word. There weren't enough Jews, and it was about history. It was about being honest history, which in Soviet, <laughs> Soviet times, there was nothing as honest history. History was there to serve the purpose of the party. I've decided to head to Krakow, where I plan to meet with Janusz Makuch, the founder of Krakow's Jewish Cultural Festival, which is now in its 25th year. Um, it's interesting because in 1986, just two years before Janusz started the festival, a book came out called The Remnants, The Last Jews of Poland. Um, I actually found the book at my grandmother's house the month before I left for Poland. And what struck me most about the book, um, aside from the fact that my grandmother had owned it for years and I'd never seen it, was that the book predicted that by the year 2000, there would be no Jews left in Poland. At the time, the book claims there were less than 5,000 Jews remaining in Poland and that their average age was 70. And now here we are in 2013, and the Jewish community in Poland, though still small, continues to grow. So I want to know, what changed? What happened between 1986 and now that made sure that the last generation of Polish Jews wasn't in fact the last? And Janusz has just poured us this beautiful um, Arabic coffee from what is and what is this again called? This it's called Finjan. They have made it from the you know generation to generation. This is a real stuff. This is authentic stuff, and which reflects actually our philosophy in terms of the festival and a lot of things which are going over here between Poles and Jews. Everything has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Has to be put on the authentic you know level and the grain and. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah, I mean, that seems so... It's like such a complicated word, to a dangerous word, authentic, right? I mean, especially when you had sort of this period of quiet when people weren't talking about Jewish life in Poland and then suddenly it reemerges. There is something a little bit artificial of linking back, is there not? Oh, absolutely, you are right. I, you know, well, I, I remember, you know, I was born in 1960. So I was born just eight years before the rest of the Jews were kicked out, actually, from Poland in 1968. I slightly remember a little bit from that time, but after that was the huge black gap. 
How, what was the story before then? So the Jewish story had just been kind of completely written out of Polish history? I mean, how did people talk about the disappearance of Jewish life in Poland during the war? How was that ever addressed? It had to have been spoken of in some regard, no? I wasn't taught in a school about, it, for instance, about the ghetto uprising in Warsaw. I wasn't taught in the school that the victims of the, uh, of the Second World War during the Holocaust were Jewish people. They were called that time the uh, Polish citizens. So step by step, I discovered the truth. It took me a long time. But what was most important from the beginning, we're curious what happened before the 1939. We're focused since the beginning of the life, of a Jewish life, because once again I want to emphasize that we were inherited, and we are inherited of a Jewish culture, Jewish civilization, which was created here in this place. As a, as a non-Jewish Pole, I think, you know, for, for many Jews, it's always curious when anybody who isn't Jewish expresses interest in Jewish life. They sort of see it as a, why? why? You know, why would you, why would you care, you know? Um, <laughs> I always hear this question oh, from 25 years, actually. Yeah. It has... It's, it's really hard to answer on this question because uh, 25 years ago when I had started to organize the first Jewish culture festival in Krakow, I really didn't plan, didn't think that it would become one of the most you know, crucial cultural events. But I remember that 25 years ago I was brimmed with the, with the fascination with my life with the Jewish culture and I had to do something. Mm. Suddenly we realized and understood. You know what? The new generation appeared on the stage. Yeah. On 1980, I was 20 years old, and I wasn't afraid. Yeah. In 1988, when I organized the first festival, I was 28 years old, and I wasn't afraid. So we are young people, and we decided to do something with our life. And it was one of the most important issues, how our history looked like. Janusz's office is located just above his Jewish-themed cafe in Kazimierz. Um, and Kazimierz is where Krakow's Jewish residents lived before the war. It was actually a ghost town until the late 90s, um, and now it's actually one of the city's most popular areas. Um, and Kazimierz is a really weird place because it's still considered Krakow's Jewish neighborhood, even though there are hardly any Jews living there. Um, it's mostly a collection of Jewish-themed shops, uh, bars, cafes, and restaurants that are all run by non-Jews for the most part. Um, and their attempts to reconstruct the area's Jewish past can be sincere and um, well-wrought, but they can also sink to the level of theme park kitsch, um, like the doily-riddled restaurants that claim to serve authentic Jewish food, uh, like kosher pork. But even, you know, in the middle of all the bad klezmer music and figurines of Hasidim clutching gold coins, um, sits the Jewish Community Center of Krakow, which actually opened in 2008. And it's a really incredible, energetic place. Um, still, you know, you wonder who the JCC was meant to serve. You know, are there really enough Jews in Krakow to warrant a JCC? And it turns out that that is a question that the JCC's director, a uh, New Yorker named Jonathan Ornstein, um, deals with on a regular basis. 
people are blown away when they come when they come here. I mean, it depends. If I talk to groups outside here, then it's a lot of explaining. But when groups come in the building and their expectations are generally, as one would imagine about Poland, gray, dark, defined by tragedy, a sad place, dangerous to be Jewish. And every single day people walk in and tell me, I came here, I didn't I didn't know what was going on about, you know, in terms of Jewish life. I went to, you know, to Auschwitz yesterday and I walked in this building and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. What they get, it's not even that it's, oh, it's not so bad to be Jewish here, but I think that we have a, a situation here where it's better, easier, and safer to be Jewish than it is just about anywhere in Europe or in the world today, and that's an amazing thing, and they're quite unique for a Jewish institution. I think that we're seen as a hip, cool institution in the city, and I don't think that I've been to very many, if any, Jewish buildings that I would use those words to describe. So what sort of services does the JCC provide to the Jewish community in Krakow? Um, where we've gotten very, very busy in the last five years. So at this point, we have a baby nursery, Sunday school, student club. We have a kosher Shabbat dinner, we, uh, which we, we have 70, 80 local people plus guests uh, every week. We have uh, five groups of Hebrew, Yiddish speakers club. If you start from this idea that there are thousands and thousands of people in Krakow with Jewish roots, some of them will want to connect religiously. Some of them are interested in music. Some of them will want to come and study Hebrew. And we need to just provide all these paths. And that's that's what we're about. Whenever I uh, visit the JCC in Krakow, uh, one of my favorite people to run into is uh, Swavik Pastushka. He's um, this precocious 22-year-old Super smart, wise, far beyond his years. And, you know, he's really the future of Krakow's Jewish community. I'm the coordinator of Student Club here and the coordinator of Connections Group. Uh, first, and I, also, I try to help our seniors. You're an honorary I member of Senior Club. Yes. Yeah. I love our seniors, they are great. And American people think that, oh my God, senior Jewish seniors in Poland, they may be thinking all the time about Holocaust, about difficult, difficult life. No, here is the best seniors club, the Jewish seniors club in really, in Europe, maybe in the world, really. They speak every time about sex, alcohol, about funny things. Really? Not about Holocaust. They don't like Holocaust. They are here in Poland, the country of Holocaust, and they want to uh, live, and they want to, they want to uh, enjoy their lives. Yes, they want, yes, they want to enjoy their life. I really love them. Because they are open, they are happy that they survived. And for me, be with seniors is very important. Uh, I try to help with Shabbos dinner, and I make kiddush here. And I know very old, beautiful melody for kiddush. This is old. Hasidic melody from Krakow. And people here forget it. What how does it go? Can you can you sing it for us? No, I, I can't. No. No, <gasps> oh, no please. No means yes, <laughs> Maybe, maybe. No, we don't have later. We're leaving for Warsaw tomorrow. Mm. 
I try to sing it with Ashkenazic uh, accent. I try. Please. <laughs> I can. Sovri maranan vera banan vera boisoi. Boruch ato adoinoi. Elokei nu melechoi lom. Boi repriha gofein. Boruch ato adoinoi elokei nu melechoi lom. Ushe kicheni bisfeise vera tzavanu. Ve shabas kocho. Behavo vratzon hin hilanu. Zikaron lemasa vereishis. Kihuyom tehilat lemikrait zakoidesh. Zecher lisias mitzraim. Kivan vaharta. Vautanu kidashta. Mikol Hamim, Veshabas Kotcho, Bahavo Vratson Hin Haltanu, Baruchata Adoinei, Mekadehesh Hashabat. Rediscovering Poland's Jewish past has definitely been exhilarating, um, but there's also a real dark side to all of it, too. I mean, the reason why all this stuff was lost, why no one talked about the Jews for more than six decades, you know, has a lot to do with trauma and shame. And digging that back up can be a very difficult exercise. So just a month after I moved to Warsaw, this new movie came out called Pokoshe, and it caused enormous controversy. Um, Pokoshe, or Aftermath, uh, takes place in a fictional Polish village where a man named Josef Kalina Uh, literally starts digging up his town's untouched Jewish past. And so every night, um, Yosef goes in search of matzevat, or Jewish tombstones, uh, that had been stolen from the town's Jewish cemetery and then were reused as paving stones in the sidewalks and squares. And I learned that this was actually a common practice that began under the German occupation and then, shockingly, perhaps, continued after the war under communism. So after seeing the film, I was actually told there was a sort of real-life Yosef Kalina living in Warsaw. Um, his name is Wukash Bakshik, and apparently for the last decade, Wukash has been driving all around Poland, taking photographs of these repurposed Matsevat. Um, last year, he published a book of his photographs called Matsevat for Everyday Use. Um, they're amazing photographs, just these haunting black and white images and I knew after seeing them that I had to meet Wukash. You know, I really wanted to know what he'd learned. You know, why had people desecrated their dead neighbors' graves? And then, you know, why did they act like it had never happened? So Wukash and I met in a park in Warsaw's Praga district where he wanted to show me exactly what this beautiful stone pergola lining the square was built out of. You can already see that uh, they are made of sandstone. And uh, if you look closer, you can see the, the Hebrew, Hebrew letters on it. So oh, let's, yeah, uh, so let's start with something really obvious. There. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so at the top of this column, it's really obvious. You can see the Hebrew script and it's upside down in that one stone. Yeah. And now, if you will walk around, you will see a lot of these uh, this, uh, Hebrew letters. It's amazing. It really, like, changes what the way you look at it, too. Like, you look at it as just a stone sort of structure, and then as soon as you see the Hebrew script, it becomes sort of morose. It feels like a cemetery has been imported into this space in some ways. It's like, you, know, you talked about it was like a place for dancing, and wow. 
Wukash just turned up a stone, a loose stone, and as soon as he turned it up, it's a flat relief of a tombstone with Hebrew inscription. I mean, really, really beautifully carved. Um, and you, I mean, people probably sit on this. It's just, yeah. From the first months of it, you found, where have you gone around Poland to find more? Where do you usually find these matzevat? How are they used? So, uh, you know, actually the easy, uh, easy answer to this question is everywhere. It's, uh, I mean, uh, that's what I actually said. I, at the very beginning, I thought it will be just a few examples. And uh, all of a sudden, I discovered that uh, the map of uh, the use of uh, Matzevot is uh, exactly the same as a map of, uh, of the Jewish cemeteries. And uh, I don't know, I also remember the first cow barn, a big building, and uh, it was in uh, in uh, a small town in in central Poland. And when I was uh, looking at this, at some point, uh, I realized that not only those uh, stones that you can obviously see were made of matzevot, but the entire cow barn is made of matzevot. You know, if someone is coming to to search for the grandfathers or grandmothers. Uh, uh, gravestone, they won't find it because it's in the cow barn. Wow. I mean, was there just a lack of building materials, period? or I don't believe so. I, You know, it's... Uh, when people are saying that uh, it was because people were poor and uh, didn't have other building materials, uh, you know, it, uh, sorry, even if it was the case, I... I would you like to have... Uh, maybe you, you can't afford today... Uh, uh, buying a new house, so go to the cemetery and take the building material. How how does it sound? It's like I don't buy this, uh, you know, this uh, explanation. I just, yeah, I couldn't live. I'd rather live without a roof over my head than live in something created out of people's tombstones. It just sounds so morbid. I wonder, how do you make yourself okay with it? Maybe just the horror of the war desensitizes you or what What have you thought it's always uh, it's interesting question because when I was talking to my friends about it uh, first they were saying uh, quite often but you know it's Germans uh, who started it and that's true but uh, I know also examples from the early 70s uh, so the Germans were not here at this time then uh, we tend to think that, uh, you, you know, it's always we tend to think that it, it wasn't us. It was some other group, even if uh, among Poles it was someone whom I wouldn't meet. I think we like to live in uh, ghettos, you know, so that we say that uh, if something's going wrong, it's not among us, it's somewhere else. But it's, uh, it's obviously not. So the Matzavat... Um, are sort of an inconvenient truth for sort of the Polish national narrative about who the Pole is, right? Pure, good, Catholic. But in fact, all people are a little more complicated. And maybe that's the reason why, like, the Matsevic complicates people's understanding of themselves as, as good Poles. That's what I think. We really like, like to think of ourselves as uh, heroes. And uh, all of a sudden we can see that we were not uh, heroes only. So the other day, I uh, met with a group of American college students visiting Warsaw, and uh, one of them asked me why, unlike Germany, Poland hadn't officially apologized to the Jews for the Holocaust. 
Um, I didn't know what to say because, you know, we often forget that Poles were also persecuted by the Nazis, you know, but it's, but it's also true that many stood by and, and watched the murder of their neighbors. And there were some who did more than stand by, you know, collaborators who turned in Jews or worse, you know, but, but it's important to remember, I think that there were also those who risked not only their own lives, but also the lives of their families in order to help their Jewish neighbors. Uh, people like Erica Toplitz, uh, who is the woman who hid my grandmother and great grandmother during the war. Uh, Erica's son, Yeji, is now 82, and my grandmother stayed in touch with him for nearly 70 years. Did your mother know that, did, did Erica know that by taking in grandma, I mean, she was putting her life and your lives in danger? Początkowo może nie bardzo zdawała sobie sprawy z tego, um, so in the beginning, perhaps she was she was she wasn't entirely aware of it. But then a few weeks, a few months later, the situation changed because um, all the Warsaw Jews were transported um, were transported to um, to the ghetto, and then Poles were officially being. I mean, they were aware of the fact they were being threatened that. Um, keeping or holding, um, having Jews in their house would be um, equal to to a death sentence. I'm so curious because they say that a lot of righteous among the nation, people that hid or helped Jews in Poland, also kept like their, that a secret that they didn't help Jews because they were afraid of being judged. Um, and I'm wondering if, if Erica or, or you, Yuji, if your mother, you ever felt like you had to keep it secret or was it something you were proud of? Did you feel like you could talk about it? So Jerzy says that, he, of course, he's aware of the um, anti-Semitism that, that was... Um, that some people felt um, in in Poland then and 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 still feel sometimes, and that he knew of people who who hid Jews during the war, um, but they were afraid to come out. They were afraid to say that they did because um, because they didn't want to be persecuted um, by by their neighbors, for example. Your mother, Eric, Erika Toplitz, was was honored by Yad Vashem as a righteous among the nations. Oh wow. So we're looking at the the medal that Yaji received in Israel on behalf of his mother from Yad Vashem as righteous among the nations. Oh wow. It's so beautiful. Can I can I take it out? Yes, you can take Please. it also. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. It's so beautiful. And it's got his mother. Yeah, what you see his. here, please uh, explain it in English. Yeah. So, so it's in this beautiful wooden box. Looks like rosewood or something. And um, it's a silver metal. It looks like platinum almost. And, and there's carvings in it. To ratuje jedno życie, ratuje cały świat. Who saves one life, saves the whole world. Who saves one person, saves all the world, yes. There's nothing black and white about the history of the Jews in Poland. And um, 
Especially after being here, I really realize now how important it is to tell that story with all of its complexity. You know, to honor Poles and Jews alike. Um, and finally, a new museum is just open in Warsaw that will try to tell that story in its entirety. And it's the Museum of the History of the Polish Jews, and it's located in the former Jewish area of Warsaw, where the ghetto stood. And it's in the same square as the monument to the ghetto heroes. And so just the other day, I headed over there to meet with Barbara Kirschenblatt-Gimlet, um, who is the program director of the museum's core exhibit. And uh, Barbara has a personal connection to Poland as well. Uh, she was actually born in 1942 in Toronto, Canada, to two Polish Jews who managed to escape Poland uh, just before the war. And so on the day um, that I headed into the museum to meet with Barbara, I actually noticed a group of Israeli soldiers gathered by the monument. And as they honored the dead ghetto fighters, I thought about how the strongest draw to Poland for most Jews is a story of the Holocaust rather than the Jewish life that flourished here. And so I wanted to ask Barbara how the museum planned on managing the different expectations of its visitors, you know, how it planned on juggling the long story of Jewish life and death in Poland, um, a story that is very much still unfolding. We go to the monument to honor those who died by remembering how they died, and we turn around and walk into the museum, and we honor their memory by remembering how they lived, and how they lived for a thousand years, a thousand years continuously. And that's not something you can say about Italy, France, Germany, Spain, certainly. But that is true of this region, a thousand years. So this question of audience, and I find that sort of interesting that, that this museum will also sort of serve the Polish community as well, too. And what does that speak to? What does that mean for one of the largest audiences to be the Poles themselves of, of Jewish sites? Well, first of all, I would say their history is not complete without this story. In other words, if you have all these towns that once had... 50, 60, 70, 80, sometimes even 90% of the population Jewish. Białystok, 70% of the population. Warsaw, a third. Łódź, a third. My father's town, 65%. If in one day all of those Jews are gone, can you imagine what it's like for the people who are left? 65% of the population vanishes. In the, my father's, in, my, in the case of my father's town, I think in two days, 65% of the population, the whole Jewish population was deported. And we lost a huge number of our family uh, in the Holocaust. But can you imagine the next day? What, what was the town like the next day? And then 70 years later. Let me put it this way. If Polish Jews made up 10% of the population in 1939, it sounds like they were 10% all over, but they weren't. They lived in towns and cities. And in the places where they lived, they formed a critical mass. And that is very specific to this territory. They formed such a critical mass that when they were deported, they left an enormous void, enormous. And that void gradually got filled, but the void of memory is a very troubled void. And it is expressed in what I would call Jewish presence in Polish consciousness, sometimes without anything but that feeling of absence and presence. And I think that we have an opportunity with this museum to really work with that and to provide an exceptionally rich and deep historical narrative 
for our visitors to engage with and to encourage them to take an interest in the Jewish past of their own towns. You know, when Barbara was talking about the void of memory being a very troubled void, I couldn't help but think of my grandmother. Um, you know, I've been wondering, after keeping her identity a secret for almost 70 years, you know, if she's felt more relief or regret in breaking that silence. Um, you know, before I came to Poland, she seemed truly worried about what I'd find here and how I'd be treated. Um, it seemed like she almost wished she hadn't said anything. Uh, the month before I left, she actually advised me not to tell people that I was Jewish and worried how I'd be received if people knew what I was researching. But now that I've been here for almost a year, you know, I've been wondering lately if her perspective has changed at all. And so I've decided that, you know, as I get ready to leave, it's, you know, it's time to ask. How are you? Packing or not yet packing? Oh, I'm not packing yet. No, not until uh, late June. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've been working on this. Um, I'm doing this podcast for The Guardian on Jewish revivalism in Poland. I think I told you about it when I was in Los Angeles. So what, what should I do? <laughs> Would you be willing to let me record uh, us talking a little bit about our family's story? Can you hear? Yeah, I can hear. I cannot see you straight, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Was it heavy to carry? Was it a heavy secret or a heavy story that you carried? Did it ever feel like it weighed you down that you couldn't talk about it? No, no, no. Nobody it was my own decision and it was connected to uh, to a decision that these things should not be public. Yeah. These are private things. But why? Why, why does our Jewishness have to be private? Because of the things that happened yeah. during the war. Yeah. I think it was a big uh, decision not to talk about these things. Uh, some people who did it immediately talked about it, and some who just took the other road. My best friends knew, and they were helpful to me all the time. So there was no... Uh, we talked when Hara came here, we talked about this. Yeji came over, and we were talking, and he told me that when he came to visit you in 1992, uh, you had asked him not to say anything to mom or me that you didn't want us to know. And I'm wondering why you didn't want mom or me to know. He said that? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about these things. Of course. And how do you feel now after I've been coming to Poland and learning more? How does oh, this I all make it is it is enrichment. It is something that makes you a more valid person, mm -hmm. more valuable person. 
and that you can uh, uh, continue uh, researching that re reverse among young people because this is something very interesting and very consoling to the people who lost their families. Does it console you? Does it make you feel good to see this stuff happening? The revival of Jewish life in Poland, to know that people are discovering their roots and... That depends on the person only. Can have different roads because it is a difficult, difficult belonging. I still see it. I know that after all she's been through, it would be unfair to expect my grandmother to ever be 100% okay with me acknowledging that I'm Jewish. Um, and after living in Poland for the past year, I definitely understand what she means about a difficult belonging. Um, still, when people ask me if I'm Jewish, I feel like I don't have a choice. I have to say yes. Um, I feel that any other answer would be irresponsible, and it's because of what Katka said. If you find even one Jewish root, you feel this urgency to embrace it because this is Poland and because of what happened here. And I really sincerely think that Poland itself is in a similar position. You know, now that it, it's rediscovered its own Jewishness in a way, um, it can't ignore this story, and it's important for the country to recognize that the history of the Jews of Poland is Polish history, too. I just, I keep coming back to that day in the park with Wukash, you know, watching him turning over these seemingly indistinct stone slabs to reveal these, like, hidden Hebrew inscriptions, you know, the faces of these Jewish tombstones. And I mean, once you turn over those stones, they change everything. You know, you can never look at those places or at Poland or even at yourself the same way again. <laughs> 